Hello, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to my Mavericks podcast. Thank you very much indeed for joining me. It's wonderful and heartening that you're listening, and I do genuinely appreciate it. When I started doing this podcast, I really had no idea quite how many people would listen to it. In fact, I think I suspected that virtually no one except for my closest friends and my dear family would listen but it seems that a number of you enjoy listening and I am very very grateful to you because I really love doing it. Anyway today is the second edition from our new venture Camp Glendai based at Glendai in the Highlands of Scotland. You may have seen that we have a new venture called Glendai Cabins and Costumes which are really remarkable and beautifully decorated and very luxurious cabins and cottages in the highlands of Scotland and we've launched a series of micro festivals. We started with our first Camp Glendai in late May and it was a massive success. About 25 people came and stayed with us for the week and we did foraging and natural navigation and tree chopping down with axes and bridge building and art and music and lots of campfire cooking. It was a really wonderful occasion with lots of extraordinarily lovely people there and lots of brilliant educators. One of those educators was Tristan Gooley, who is, I think, the natural navigator. He's written seven books and he has gained a worldwide reputation for the study and teaching of natural navigation. He is, in fact, possibly the only person in the world who's doing this full time. So I sat down with Tristan after, on the day after he had done one of his courses with our guests and we sat down around a campfire with most of the guests at about 10 in the morning. It was a very clear, still day and the smoke got into a lot of people's eyes as we went on. Weirdly enough, I've realised, and perhaps you become immune to these things, that I hardly notice campfire smoke in my eyes anymore. It's a strange thing, but um, as lots of other people are moving around and, and trying to fight it off, I just seem to be, as I say, almost immune. Anyway, this isn't about me. It's about Tristan Gooley. And so here is me talking to Tristan Gooley around the campfire in the mid-morning at Camp Glendai in late May. Tristan, I think that the thing that I always like to do is to sort of start where we are now. So you are, I mean, this is in terms of, in the West, probably the preeminent natural navigator. Is, is that fair to say that? Um, I think as, as a subject as a whole, I think that's, that's true. I think there are specialists in certain parts of the world who, who have knowledge of their, their niche, which, you know, I, I aspire to, but as a, as a, as a full subject, then yeah, I think that's, 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 I hope, where I am. And you're on book five now? Uh, just begun book seven, actually. Seven, okay, yeah. wow, okay. And, and, and so talk, just give me, the, give me the, the first one was The Natural Navigator, which was a big hit, right? Yeah, and it was, um, it was an interesting experience uh, for lots of reasons, but the thing I really hark back to now is that nobody, bar one or two people who are kind enough to commission the book, thought that there would be any interest in the subject at all. So what I really remember is I'd, I'd write one or two quite detailed things about, let's say, a lichen. And I can remember one conversation with the publisher where they said, you've got to think of Aunt Bessie at the kitchen table. Don't freak them out. Right, OK. <laughs> but, that, but, that, that, but that was the opposite to your mission, presumably. I mean, you were I, trying to get really 
deep into a subject. I was, I was trying to, what, I, what I'd been doing for years is, is I had a passion and it, it at a times felt quite, uh, it, it hadn't felt lonely, but it, is a solid, it had been a solitary thing. I'd been teaching myself and I didn't feel that the world owed me any interest in it. So what, what had sort of happened was I'd, I got quite used to good friends who were sort of knew me well enough to be entirely honest. I got used to them telling me to shut up about certain things. And when I started talking about the stars or using trees, I noticed that they'd, they'd not tell me to shut up as quickly as they normally did. And so I thought, maybe I'm not the only person in the world who... who I, but I mean, I, I think that the, the truth is that when something is, you know, I don't think, I think skirting over the top of subject is always really boring, but, but passion is the thing which really resonates with people. I mean, I don't know if you all agree with that. You need someone who really goes into something. And that presumably is why The Natural Navigator was a hit, because people, they could tell that you were walking the walk. I, th I think yes, and the um, since then I know I now know exactly what you mean. I'm not sure I would have understood that as I was doing it because I was sort of happily lost in my own thing. But I've now been in you know the writing world and that sort of thing enough that I can see and I take you know a lot of joy in seeing other people have success when they do something. And it's um, yesterday we were talking about authenticity um, uh, and and when it is authentic. I think when a writer thinks, oh that subject looks quite kind of you know you know. It, on topic, you know, it, yes. it's a bit now, let's write about that. I think, I think the world smells it and they, they blank it. Whereas if somebody has been doing something for 20 years and then, and, and as it was the case with me, a publisher says, I think the world has an interest in this stuff. I think that works because people um, can see it's not, a, it's not somebody jumping on something. It's, it's somebody, you know. No, I, I agree with that. And I, I think, you know, it seems to me that the publishing industry, the movie industry, the TV industry, the record industry are all full of, when a hit comes along, the, you know, the imitators are then bought by yes. the industry really quickly. Yes, yeah, and, and, I, and I think you, the But you were the original. Like... So now, what have the other six books been about? Um, they're all in a, in a sort of stable of outdoor clues and signs. So natural navigation is, is the art of finding our way using nature. And, and the fastest way to enjoy it is, is um, as we had a bit of fun with yesterday, is, is finding clues to direction. So I've written about um, maybe a thousand of these things you can look for in nature and find direction. But, but I see that as a, as a, a fun and interesting part of a broader um, outlook, which is that everything outdoors has meaning. Everything is a clue or a sign to something. Um, and as I was saying to everybody yesterday, and I always say, because it, it keeps me on my toes and I enjoy it, you can pick anything you want outdoors and I will try and turn it into a clue or see the clue within it would be a better way of putting it. Right, okay. So that's what all the books are about, really. But but so so let's spool right back to to young Tristan. I mean, you were you were you grew up in the country, presumably? No, I well, I more suburbia to be honest. Um, but I, it's a it's a really weird thing in the sense that I hadn't given it any thought until recently when people were sort of you know kind of generous enough to sort of take a tiny bit of an interest, and then I had to start thinking about it. And I don't I don't have great memories of my first um, thirteen years of life. I don't. I don't sort of hark back to that as some sort of golden era or anything like that. It wasn't in any way um, miserable, but it certainly wasn't joyous and it wasn't me running around in the countryside. How, I mean, that is interesting because it seems to me that whenever you, I mean, for me, my connection with the countryside precisely came from those first 13 years. Right, yeah. Of, of actually, I mean, you know, ironically being left alone by my parents. Yes. I mean, not that I didn't love them and vice versa, but that, that is quite interesting. So age 13 or, or thereafter, what happened? Um, there wasn't a, a sort of... Um, a sort of thunderclap moment it was it was a very gradual thing that I was 
I was restless in every possible sense of the word. And I would find myself, I, I never really enjoyed organised activity in groups. So whenever there's a group of more than about half a dozen people being told we're going to do this thing together and in the same way, I found myself rebelling against it. And I don't know why to this day, but um, I was... I was a pain in the arse, frankly, is the only way to put it. I, I, so I would have to sort of go and find my own things. So to give you a, a sort of practical example, if somebody said, I'm going to lead you to the top of this hill and there's a beautiful view and 20 of us walk up the hill, I would really struggle to enjoy it. So almost to the point where I'd find a way of getting out of it and then go up and do it myself. Right. I, mean, I was just awkward. OK, OK. Um, I, don't think that's, I don't think that's awkward. I think it's... Um, you're the sort of person that, that won't join clubs, but, but also will become a natural navigator. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I don't think that necessarily fitting in at... I, I suspect that fitting in at school is overrated and that the majority of people that fit in at school are less interesting later in life than those that don't. I suspect. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I was a real goody-goody. So. Were you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but I never liked, uh, like you, I never liked being a member of a, a club or, do, you know, I've never been very good at rules. Yes. But, I, but I, li I, like, I like people to like what I was doing, so. And I do feel, because I see the world as a, as a parent now uh, as much as, uh, as an individual, and I, I think that feeling of not fitting in can be quite tough in your teens and, and even, even 20s. But I think the, the positive that comes from it is that when you find something that works for you, and the world sort of reflects back, yeah, we, we, we've got a bit of time for this. Mm. You're very grateful. Yes. Because I've noticed people who sailed through school and, you know, you know, enjoyed their first job and stuff like that, they find midlife a lot harder because they've kind of ticked along and, and you know, they're the sort of people we all know and, and, you know, I'm sure many of us here fit this category and it's, it's a good and happy one. You know, school's a good time, you know, 20s a good time, stuff like that. But then there's a there's a moment you kind of like go, have I have I found my thing? And yes. So if you have yes. the awkwardness and the, you know, um, it's 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 closely related to insecurity. I think if you have a good dose of insecurity early on, and then you find something that you feel works, then you um, you're grateful for it. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So so you started to find this thing with being outdoors sort of during your late school days, or I can remember I've got photos of. Um, I can remember a conversation with my father where I had to persuade him that three friends and I were going to go into the Brecon Beacons. Uh, and I think we were 14 when that happened. Um, and then the following year, the four of us went into the Lake District. Um, and between those, I think between 14 and 15, the, the, the kind of the adults stepped back. So my father was, was, in, the, was in the Brecon Beacon area when we were there because we were only 14. Uh, but by the age of 15 or possibly just 16 I can't remember I can remember us trying to work out how to get our our rucksacks and everything from London to the Lake District right and, okay and, and that okay was, that was yeah and, that was fun and this was kind of rev this was a sort of um a sort of opening up moment was it yeah and 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 that that sort of feeling that um we were very much doing it ourselves it wasn't it wasn't a case that I was leading the whole thing I was I was involved in the in the decision making but I felt enough that we were we were shaping something and that with hindsight was quite a formative thing for me. The idea of shaping journeys was definitely something that floated oh, my boat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So we'll come back to that, but I, I think there's something interesting about the effect that I've never been able to put into words that the countryside 
when you really connect with it can have on you. Did, I mean, I as a child, particularly I think in my teens, would 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 kind of feel almost kind of completely at peace in in the countryside. Yes. And and, and did you have that experience? No. 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 I... So you were trying to move through. Yeah, to and figure I, out. So you you were you were becoming a, a sort of scientist, really, at that stage. Not at that stage. No, I was. Um, uh, it was a sort of, if I'm being really honest, it was a combination of, you know, classic youthful things. And and I honestly don't know whether young women have exactly the same experience as young men here, because I think testosterone plays a little bit of a part in this. But insecurity, um, uh, you know, restlessness, a little bit of ambition, um, a, you know. All of those things come together and you, you find something that kind of makes that, that sort of restless feeling go away. And so I wasn't sort of walking out there thinking, oh, I'm going to try and work out what a stinging nettle means. I was thinking, I climbed a 3,000 foot mountain a month ago, I'm going to try and find a 4,000, which is an incredibly immature way of looking at the world. But it, it's quite uh, masculine. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, <laughs> yes. it is. And I, I, can yeah. see, I can see it. It's kiddie stuff. But the, the numbers just went up and up. And and the journey's got bigger and bigger. And through that process, I grew up a little bit and realised I was I was box ticking, and it was it was stupid. But but after you so you then read what at university? Um, in theory, politics and history. Right. Okay. In in practice, <laughs> um, I set up a student magazine because I wasn't a very good student, as you might have guessed already. <laughs> right. Okay. And then and then you started sort of flailing around in the world when you were spat out of the other end of university or, or did you know that you wanted to do something quite extreme and unusual? I was still, I'd, it was between the ages of 24 and 26 and again there wasn't, there wasn't one moment I, I realised that. Um, I can remember thinking I've really enjoyed shaping journeys, I've enjoyed walking, um, I'd done a little bit of, uh, I'd had a few lessons of flying a light aircraft and I'd had a, a five day sailing course. And I remember thinking, I love all of those things, but, but life is not going to spoil me enough to allow me to do all three, so I've got to pick one. And I felt this terrible sadness. Uh, and I remember it lasted, it lasted weeks, and the idea of giving up two of those things, I couldn't understand why that happened. And then, and then the penny dropped that it wasn't... Um, I'm not a kit sort of person. So what I mean is most people who enjoy being on the water, um, sailors, powerboats, people like that, are, are kit obsessives. They would love... To, you know fiddle with something on a boat or buy a new bit of kit or buy talk. a new kit absolutely I yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And I felt again I felt like I was kind of I didn't kind of fit into that club because I couldn't care less I really couldn't so I then put those pieces together and I thought what on earth's going on here and then I realized it was the shaping of the journey so this sounds a bit weird um it probably sounds a bit kind of you know bs zen but it, it basically my perfect sailing doesn't involve a boat it's understanding the elements and working out how to get from one place to another. The boat is a sort of expensive inconvenience as far as I'm concerned. Right, okay, um, okay. And, and, and at, at that moment I realised, okay, if it's the shaping the journey, then I don't actually have to pick aviation or hiking or whatever. I can, I can go headlong into navigation. And that, that was a really exciting moment for me. And I was, I was definitely influenced by a biography I read of Shackleton um, at, at about that time. Um, because the, the, the interesting thing with Shackleton, I think, is that he's not, it's not the macho side of him that's, I think, interesting for, for young people. It's the fact that he was truly awful at a lot of things, but he found one thing he was good at. Navigation. Well, actually, he was, he was an incredible leader of people in difficult situations, which it could, have been, it could have been the jungle, it could have been the desert. He would have still had those qualities. It just happened to have been the, the icy parts of the world. But 
But I think, I, I now feel, again, as a, as a parent, but also I speak to a lot of people at school age, and, and I feel very, very passionately about this, this kind of subliminal macho message that comes out to, to, to boys and girls from, it's not just Hollywood, but I think it has its roots there, which is basically in a movie, there's a good guy who's brilliant at everything, and then there are the baddies who fail at everything. And we all know life's not like that, but we don't necessarily know that as kids. As, as kids, we can kind of like, look at all these stories we're being fed, you know, um, the, the interesting characters have flaws, but by and large, the, the, the simple, powerful stories. Um, so you can fall into that trap, which I think I did at times, of thinking, well, I'm not a, I'm not a superhero, so I, I didn't sit there thinking, well, maybe I'm the baddie, but I, I did start to think, well, you know, where am I in this in I this don't script? know yeah yeah where I, don't, I, am. I yes. don't know and so yeah. I was there's more luck than judgment I kind of sort of found that thing but now as I say I feel just as passionate as I feel about my subject I feel that young people need to know that everybody in the world is rubbish at quite a few things right okay um, but before we come on to that tell me about you've hinted and I don't know um what 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 you did but you did some fairly extraordinary journeys at that sort of stage in your life did you Yes, and um, it's, I think there's, there's a temptation when something sort of worked in inverted commas to sort of see a perfect sort of strategy and narrative and everything. But it was a sort of year by year. I wanted to, basically I wanted to be able to put my head on the pillow at the end of the day, feeling that I was good at something and I'd, if possible, I'd, I'd, I'd nailed something. I had a skill that, you know, even in the, the darkest moments I could go, yeah, I'm, I'm, good, at, I'm good at that. And, and so what I would do is, is create a journey idea where to, to complete it, I would have to have mastered another level of, of knowledge and expertise. And it was purely for me. There was no, I quite often didn't tell anyone else in the world this stuff was going on. So, you were, so actually you were doing a different version of your idea of going up a 2,000 foot hill yes. and a 3,000 and a 4,000. You were, you were layering yes. slightly more... Um, textured and, and subtle things but yeah absolutely so in a, a good example is within certain areas there is structured learning and I think we will all have had this experience where you you, you have an interest in something and there is a path that, that's obvious to follow so in the world of sailing you the the Royal Yachting Association have, have made these stepping stones you you get a competent crew then you're a day skipper then you're coastal something and then you're a yacht master then you're an ocean yacht master and those stepping stones are quite when you found your thing and you just you just you just you just do the steps and it's quite sort of um you gotta you gotta find the time and the, and the money around work and things like that but you you just kind of join those dots and when the dots stop that's when it gets a bit more yeah and st but status has also been achieved presumably in, in a way that lots of other people can read and that I'd, wasn't quite your thing well that that's interesting because i i keep coming back to this insecurity thing and it's not something i would have dared talk about 10 years ago but I, I think I wrote in one of my books that when we're, when we're in our teens, 20s and, and at various times in our life, if you get a qualification, the, the way I put it is the person who's given me that qualification knows what they're doing. And if they've given me this piece of paper, they think I'm worth something, therefore I must be worth something. It's not, that sounds a little bit tragic, but I'm just being really honest here. No, no, I, I, I agree. It's, uh, but you, but you, so tell us about your sailing. You, you did some extraordinary sailing, right? Yeah, I, um, again, each journey was about sort of pushing the envelope, but not in a physical sense. It was all about learning and skill. So um, I, I thought I, 
the, the big goal I set myself was to try and um, fly solo and sail single-handedly across the Atlantic because, again, not for the broader world, but I, I kind of figured if I did that, then I must have kind of got this navigation thing. <laughs> That's honestly <laughs> the thought process. Um, and to do that, there were, there were various sort of journeys I, I put together. Um, I travelled from the south of England to the highest point in North Africa and back without buying a ticket. So I'd, with a mate, we, we sailed from Southampton to Jersey in the Channel Islands, climbed into a light aircraft, flew down the west coast of France and Spain, jumped into a 4x4, went up into the high atlas where the road stopped. We took our pack off and, and climbed to the summit and then did the same on a, a different route on the way back. And that, that, was, wow. that was a research <laughs> trip as far as I was going. I mean, it was good fun, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> How amazing. And, 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 and what about um, getting across the Atlantic? That was, um, that was interesting because the, the practicalities, I tried to do everything by the book. So I had every qualification, every so bit. So you became, you did this, the Ocean Master yes, thing. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the, the, the big unknown with that sort of thing is the psychology because in honesty, I think the vast majority of people would be absolutely fine doing it, but some people would get to the middle of the Atlantic and, and have a moment. Freak um, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think most people would be fine. So, I, I was mate on board a, uh, a yacht that went across the Atlantic and my sole purpose for doing that, that voyage was to, was to just sit on the deck and look around and go, if there was nobody else on this boat, would I be all right? And that was the sole reason for doing that. And the conclusion so, was? Um, yes, the, the waves were a lot bigger than I expected. <laughs> but, but, the, but this is... <laughs> the swell is different to waves. Waves can break on you, so... A, a 20-foot wave is a far more scary thing than 40-foot swell. But, but this is where the psychology comes in, because you, you, you're looking at, at, at swell, you're looking at waves which would be tiring to walk up, and you know your boat is going to go up and then come down. So the theory is, is, is great, it's easy. Yeah, we just... But... You, you, I mean, <laughs> for me, <laughs> I find the idea utterly terrifying. <laughs> that, that's, but, that's a lovely example of, you know, you, you'll do things that would freak me out, definitely. And, like, like hosting this here, I couldn't okay. do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, well, thank you. So one thing that I think is interesting, and I, and I think it's, I don't want to put words into Alex Gregory's mouth, but I think when he was talking about winning Olympic gold, one of his things was that he instinctively understood how to read the river. And I think that it was this amazing coach, Jürgen, whatever he's called, who kind of identified that in him. Oh. So... Do you think that you instinctively had that, you know, that, that kind of reading of, of nature? And I mean, or, or is it just simply that it interests you and you've taught it, whether it's the ocean, you know, the middle of the ocean or looking at a tree here? There, there was a, a, a sort of tipping point where everything got turned on its head in a very sort of happy way, which was the, the process of doing the, the double Atlantics was um, exhausting in, in every possible way, but it was also slightly unfulfilling because the process of doing that, I suddenly realized that I could, I could look back at being sort of, you know, maybe 12 or 13 and, and finding my own way up a small hill. And there was a sense of joy and genuine adventure. And then I could be sat in a cockpit surrounded by amazing kit, you know, high over the North Atlantic, one mistake and I'm dead, and yet not feeling the same thrill. And I thought that's, something's not working here, something's not right. And, and somehow, I honestly don't know how, I came across the idea that we could try a journey without any technology. And I did this very short journey. Um, you know, it was a little bit of English countryside, literally a, a couple of miles, I think it was, just using trees, the sun, wildflowers. And, and I got that thrill back that I'd had as a, 
you know, a, a very young person trying Okay, to, interesting. And I was probably tw 24, 25 when that happened. But I was, I can't, I honestly can't remember the ex these exact moments. They're not, um, I don't have sort of, but, but I do remember the sensation and I do sort of remember it, it, it coming alongside the preparation for that. I think I think I, I have a sort of philosophy on these these moments where people say, well, it was that moment. I mean, I think they're convenient narrative tools, but yes. I don't think life works like no. that anyway. So no. you're just being a bit more honest than most yeah. um, most most of us and certainly most writers, I suspect. Yes. Yeah. I think most of us it, it's tonal memory, isn't it? You can remember when your feelings about things shifted, but it, yes. it might take a year to work out what date it was or when they had shifted. At yes. least. Yeah. So so just going back to where I said we'd return. Your, your views on, on um, children and education, uh, what, what do you, as it were, want for your children now that you think is kind of broadly lacking in, in, you know, in, this, in this sphere? Um, I know I want them, there, there, are, there are cliches for a reason and you know, I don't want them to sort of fear failure and my I've already begun, they're 15 and 12, my boys, and I've already begun sowing the idea that, you know, if you haven't, you know, made a dog's breakfast of a few things by the time you're, you know, in your mid to late 20s, then you, you're probably not near enough the edge of the envelope. You've got to, um, I mean, as a parent, it's horrible when a child fails at anything. Um, but and maybe when we get nearer those, those years, I'll, I'll become a coward and I'll say, no, just do the, do the qualification, you know, get in the office, you know. But do you think you might? I honestly, I honestly don't know, but it's, I, like every parent, I want them to find their thing, and I feel very, very strongly that I'm not the person to tell them what that is. Um, I, I hope I recognise it when, it when they start to show, un, un, you know, and it's just a joyous thing. It's a joyous thing in somebody who's, you know, 80 years old, and it's a joyous thing in an, in an eight-year-old when you see somebody who has that genuine love of something, and, and it, it, I think it... it, it, it it can excite all of us. I, I think it can. I, I think, I think what, what strikes me about you is that, that you've found your joy and that is, and, and you've turned that into this remarkable bank of knowledge. And then like the rest of us, you've then got to figure out how to make that pay. And you've done that. But actually there's, there's, you're in that point of conflict now, I suspect, where, you know, your kind of your joy and your, your is, is actually tempered to an extent by endlessly having to kind of, you know, come up with new books or do certain sorts of gigs to you know i mean how do you keep the freshness through that um if by, you're not necessarily if you're not necessarily a people person um yeah i, I that that's very interesting that the people person side of it is that i i call it wearing hats you know literally but metaphorically in the sense that um i now see it in other people very very clearly that when we have our thing and we're we're within that world that we've almost created you know, socialising is, is a wonderful thing. And outside of that, it's, it's um, and I think that's true more, for more people than, than who might admit it. But um, in, in our... You mean in our comfort zone? Yes, as in, and again, it, I just keep coming back to this kind of thing of, you know, not, as a, as a young person, not necessarily sort of waking up every morning going, have you, I don't think, I might be wrong, but I don't think this applies to you, I think, but, but, but I think, quite a few people look around and they go why where's this book that they were given that explains this life thing and there's the sort of comfort there and I think it has a lot to do with upbringing um, but uh, in answer in answer to your question about the, um, the the book thing is I don't go chasing it as you in, don't okay. no, because it doesn't work that way because my whole work is about 
you know, um, a, a, an honest passion for something. The, yeah, the, the, the book process is a, is a, is a sort of, it, it's, um, this sounds really cheesy, but it's a, it's a sort of love affair of, with a niche within my outdoor clues and signs world. So um, I, when, I, when I wrote How to Read Water, I just start to see the whole world through those, through those sorts of signs. Right, I can, okay. It, I can be in, a, in an airplane, you know, uh, miles above an ocean and thinking about the ocean that way, or I can be by the kitchen sink and seeing patterns in that. You said to me that you think that natural navigation is really a it's more about philosophy than anything else. Well, I yes, and then the, the the joy of doing this sort of extended sort of chat like this is is um, is it does allow me to sort of go on that because I I, I don't want to freak people out. So to, I want people to share in the in the fun I have, and the route in is through very practical things. You know, knowing that the sun is due south in the middle of the day, knowing where, how to find the North Star, knowing the shape of a tree, well, well, that all that stuff is the way in. But then what I found, and again, there was no, there was no strategy, there was no like sort of goal or anything like that. But what happened is I built up a collection of those sorts of signs and then it led to my, you know, a couple of my broad philosophies, which are nothing is random, which, which we talked about when we, we were looking at things yesterday. And I mean that literally, as in I don't, I think every single thing we within a stone's throw of here, uh, I think if we chose to, we, we could find, you know, a couple of thousand signs and, and they are all there for a reason. And once we understand that reason, so that's, that's, the, that's the first sort of pillar, if you like. And then the second one is everything is connected. So I, I often sort of say to people, you can point to any two things, just like I say, you can pick anything you want. And I'll try and find a clue in it. I can say pick any two things you want and I'll find a connection between them because you know, once we realise that the shape of the tree that we can see out there is is influenced by the sun being due south, from those two things we can we can, you know, we are sat in these chairs because of where the sun is, and the sun is where it is because of the way the Earth's orbiting, which will explain why the stars look the way they do now. Will explain why that cloud is is the shape it is. I could go on, but you, you get yes, the idea. Yes, yeah. yes, and so so and, and do you find that comforting or frightening? It, it's a really um, it's a bit of a um, it's not quite a roller coaster, but it's it's at its best. It's it's a, an exhilarating, euphoric moment of insight. And I was um, uh, I was chatting with um, Fern. Where's Fern? <laughs> yeah, I was chatting with Fern. We were talking about um, you know poetry and and how when poetry is absolutely right, it's it's a glimpse into the the, the underlying truth of the universe. This starts to sound, and I get a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, come bashful, on, come on! A little bit bashful, don't, get, but... don't get bashful because it's 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 really interesting. I, you've got to say it. You know, if you're thinking it, say well, it. Well, it's I, interesting. I, my my publisher and I occasionally have these conversations, and they rein me back because they know that whether I'm right or wrong on that particular path, I, you're getting closer to 100 people thinking about buying a book and then not buying it, rather than 100,000 people buying one. So, so I, I don't and, necessarily agree with that. I mean, I, I think that's, you see, I think that that's possibly wrong. I think that, that it, it's what you said earlier. It's, it's you know, success, real long-term success at your chosen, I'm not talking about business success, but it might manifest itself. You know, cultural artistic success is about a, a real depth of vision. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, the, the great, you know, the great jazz musicians, the great, the great, you know, the great poets, they've really gone somewhere that at the time most people would think was completely bonkers. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I agree. And I don't know how much um, is, is clarity of foresight and how much is, 
because I think it's hugely fascinating how much of what any of us do is, to put it in, in, in very sort of mechanical, almost economic terms, how much is demand-led and how much is supply-led? But I mean that in a creative way. What I mean is, I'm not putting it terribly well, but what I mean is how much of you know, a great musician is, is them thinking, I am now going to create something fantastic and it is me doing it. And how much of it is the universe using them as a, you know, Oh, I think, I think, yeah. I think probably more the latter. Yeah, I would agree. In that something resonates with people, even if it's confusion. Yes, yes. But, yeah. but it's strong. Yes, yes. How do you, in terms of your, your work, do you, do you feel you're, you're controlling that? the points you get to there? No, no, not at all. I mean, I'm, I'm like almost everyone in that I really, really question whether anything I do is even remotely good, let alone, you know, good at all. But, but, I'm, but I'm, my particular sphere of interest is in uh, contemporary music. Okay. And, and I've been, uh, you know, really, really interested in collecting records since I was about seven. And, and I'm just really interested in those artists that go to places that people just initially just think oh my god this is unlistenable and 20 or 30 years later you know millions of people are clicking their finger at the same moment for a sound you can barely hear in the record yes, you yeah. know and I, and I think that i think you can apply that to great poetry great writing and so i my, my suggestion might be that you could just do a, a, a you know a passion project alongside yeah. your you yes. know your your more popular writing and see, kind of see what happens. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd I love mean, it. Would take it would take some courage, wouldn't it? But it, the but it comes back to the obsessive thing, as in I couldn't do that alongside, because I would half do it, and it's not a thing that can be half done. But then, so, you, but then you, you you are presumably in a position where you could take a, a couple of months and and write this stuff and publish it under an alias, if you like. Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, I'm always trying um, to persuade other people to do things. That's part of my thing. I, <laughs> partly because I have absolutely no fear of doing things myself. I yeah. think I'm slightly weird like that. Yeah, um, you, you, you volunteered to be my mentor unwittingly. Yeah, so, I, okay, yeah. no, I, yeah, yes. But I mean, I, I, I think it is interesting. And I think, you know, that there's something, I mean, if I can be sort of slightly damning, I mean, you, you need to be brave with this stuff you've learned. and and. and and, and yes, you've got to put food on your, your, your table and, and, and your kid's table and all the rest of it. But, but actually, you know, the body of work, this could be your moment. You know, you've, you've studied something for, I mean, my podcasts don't normally go down this route. But I mean, you've studied something for, you know, 25 years. You're a world expert at it and you kind of want to go off on this philosophical thing. I think it would be mad not to. Should I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you want to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anyway, I mean that—that that, you know, it's it's it's, it's interesting. Um, so what? I mean, if if you if you don't, let's assume you don't become the um, you know kind of the radio head of of, um, <laughs> of popular uh, nature writing. Um, you know, Kid A is not your next um, book, as it were. What what what? Do you, where do you sort of see? You know, you're 45 years old, roughly now. You've got a good, you know. 45 years more in you where, where do you see your career going now and I mean how much of it is is experience based teaching people like us and how much is actually just writing the the two are are very important and serve different different sort of roles so the the writing is essential to me because it is I, I do thrive on the creative challenge but also it pushes me to discover and um, I sometimes get called an explorer which I'm not that comfortable with but it, it, it the closest I am to being an explorer is I'm trying to discover new fields of knowledge and, and share them, which is, which is part of exploration. 
Um, the, the teaching is, is a complementary part in the sense that I, part of what I'm doing is, is I, mustn't, I mustn't get lost in my own sort of view of things. And so when I discover something new, the teaching is an important kind of um, reflection on whether there's, whether there's something there. So I can, I can, for example, discover something about, you know, the way a bird, you know, that we can walk closer to a bird when its head's down than its head's up. It, when, I, that sort of thing I get very, very excited about. And I, I could go straight to a book, but I tend to sort of introduce it into a course because then I can see, you know, even if people don't think they are, they are reflecting back whether there's something in that. Yes. And how much of your, I mean, you've touched on travel. How much of your career is, is becoming a sort of social anthropology? I mean, because I, I'm aware there's a sort of, um, you know, sort of in these, you know, there's, a, there's an element of, of you saying, well, I've discovered something. And, and actually, there's probably someone, you know, somewhere in the, in the woods all over the world saying, no, you haven't, mate. We discovered that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 50,000 years ago. I mean, so there must be an extent to which you, as well as discovering things by observation and, 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 and repeated sort of iteration, actually can really find fascinating things out by talking to other, you know, other yes. cultures. Yeah. And you're, 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 you're absolutely spot on there because... If I, if I use the word discover, it's, it's not necessarily the right word. It's, it's rediscover or, or reintroduce to a new audience and that sort of thing. So I'm, I sometimes refer to myself as a magpie, as in I'm, I'm getting things from all over the place. And one of the things I absolutely adore about the subject is that I can literally find something in an ancient source in the morning and then find something that's been published in an academic journal in the afternoon and put the two together. So a good example would be something like Ivy. I, I spent years observing ivy uh, in the wild and, and, and getting to know it in a, in a sort of um, first-person kind of way and then noticing there are certain trends but still struggling to understand how, do I, how does that fit into what I do. And then I was able to, as we all do, I was able to stand on the shoulders of giants by realising that some botanists had done some academic research and wonderful sort of geeky concepts like positive and negative phototropism, the way ivy grows away from the light when it's young and then towards the light when it's older, which is why I'd struggled for years to understand the shapes I was seeing. So I put my observations together with a botanist who has less than no interest in natural navigation probably, but I then, so I'm, I haven't actually discovered very much, but I'm, I'm borrowing from somebody and, and putting it in a, in, a, in a different sort of parcel. Which is actually how you work in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Putting, yes. you, you've, you've said a number of times over the last 48 hours that you're putting one or more, you know, two or more things together and making sense of, of that. Yes. So, but do you travel a lot to try and talk to people on subjects that particularly interest you? Yes, and I, I, um, I was saying at breakfast this morning, actually, that it's, it, a lot of my work is, um, there are lots of, sort of strange analogies and metaphors here, but uh, I'm, I'm a magpie that pans for gold. So, <laughs> I... I so last week I was uh, in, a, in a place called Sharjah in, the, um, uh, in Arabia and, and interviewing a, an elderly Bedouin gentleman. And in our two hours of conversation, I got one and a half nuggets out of it. You know, right. he, everything he said is fascinating, but it's fascinating to me in a, what I would consider an amateur sense, as in the sense, who wouldn't want to have that conversation? Wonderful, interesting, really lovely guy. But the professional bit is the nugget. The professional right, okay. bit is, is what he told me about the Bedouin knowledge of wind direction change, what that brings and how it changes their behaviour. So, so in a nutshell, he said, if the wind blows from the south for, for four days, we don't camp in the wadi because that's telling him that heavy rains are coming. And 
he might not have known it as he was saying it because it, to him it probably just sounded like a lot of the other knowledge he was passing yes. on. But to, I just suddenly go, that's it. I, I'm blowing the dust off the uh, off the uh, the nugget there. I understand yes. something. Yes. Yeah. yeah. How interesting. And 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 do you are you? I mean, how 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 do you get? I mean, how does one get hold of a Bedouin leader? It's it's a. <laughs> no, I mean seriously. I I always think you know it's fascinating. It's like. You're sitting at home in the countryside in England and you've got to sort of make an arrangement with a Bedouin. Well, it's, it, it, is, it is. I find it really funny because I, um, I spent a, a bit of time with the Tuareg in, in the Sahara in 2009, in the, in the Libyan Sahara. And um, getting hold of them was the same process every time. You, you, you find your contact nearest to that world and ask them and then it becomes a stepping stone process. And, and you nearly always are asking to go a step further or in a different direction to, to most people. So that last step is always, is always the trickiest. But the thing that... I find quite amusing is that I've I've told people about that experience loads, and I talk about my um, my my Tuareg friends, you know, um, Am Amgar, and 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 then I sort of tack on then well, we're not actually good friends anymore because he, he's not very good at Facebook and stuff like that, and and it, it gets the smile. But the really weird thing is. I'm I'm now on WhatsApp with this Bedouin guy. Right. Oh, are you? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so in ten years, uh, different part of the world. There's a lot of wealth there that that, that isn't in North Africa, um, uh, or or you know not yet. Um, but that is that is a changing world. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. Also, I, I imagine for people doing deep research, potentially quite dangerous in that it might discourage you from actually going out and sitting down and having a proper chat. Yes, um, but that trust thing is, is... I mean, Google, you know, in the, Google clearly is the most extraordinary thing, but it's also quite a dangerous thing. Yes. Because yeah. we accept what it tells us. Yes. If we're having, you know, I always think that that's sort of worrisome when you're having a conversation with someone and 30 seconds later they say, well, I'll just Google it. Yes, yeah. And, and so there is an element if you, if you were to... Is this the verb WAP or WhatsAppin? WhatsAppin? <laughs> and, and say, you know, what's the thing you think about the wind coming? And he gives you an answer... I, I, it's not, you know, it's not the same, is it? It's no, not the same. I, I haven't tried. I haven't tried actually, you know, sort of digital contact with him yet. But I will do because he's 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 a great guy. But um, but I think because we 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 sat in the desert together, just the two of us, drinking um, cardamom coffee and eating dates together, as 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 they do in that part of the world. And it it was there was there's a a trust that builds where, and the only way I've learned to kind of build trust is 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 sort of talking about how I'm reading a landscape and, and then people sort of go, because if I talk about it in an ethereal sense, if I say I'm here to kind of, you know, um, hopefully learn from you about sort of clues and signs that, you know, you, you get a slight sort of narrowing of the eyes. And, and, and but if, if instead of that, uh, you certainly not teach, because that, that, there's a risk of, you know, being patronizing and things like that, but, but you just sort of say, as I did with, with, um, with Mohammed, I, I just say, so as I understand it, but you tell me in a moment if I'm right, the wind, the prevailing wind is from that direction, which has, has made that side of the dune a shallow angle, and that is the slip face, so the, the sand will do this, and, and then I'll do a similar thing with the stars and one other thing, and, and they will then kind of jump in, and we're, we're on my track then, rather than me sort of say. And I think a bit of trust gets built up, because they can then, their knowledge, they won't meet people every day from you know, our part of the world who, who see that sort of stuff that way. So the, the trust is there then. I well, think. also, there's nothing like someone being interested in what you do, is there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's the best way to draw, draw it out, I think. So, so final question. You, you, you're very um, sort of self-derogatory, if that's <laughs> the right thing. But, but you, you, you're, you're 
Are you, do you consider yourself to be a sort of brave person, a fearless person? Um, not, not routinely, no. I don't, I, I don't think I'd, I'd make the brave decision, you know, each week. But I, I think I'm, I'm capable of making decisions that other people consider foolish. And that's, you know, foolhardiness and courage are, you know, if not two sides of the same coin, then they're, they're bedfellows, aren't they? Yes, yeah. yes, um, yeah. And, and I, I do, again, coming sort of almost full circle to the kind of parental aspect to this or, or even just think about the next generation. Um, if, yeah, if all your friends think what you're doing is, is, is a bit stupid, they might be right, but they might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I think in this case, it turns out that they're, they're completely wrong in your case. But they've been right a few times. Okay. <laughs> well, that, thanks so much, Tristan. I mean, fascinating. Thank you very, very much. And, um, and now, um, 20 minutes of water reading. Does that sound interesting? Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, Tristan. Thanks so much, Charlie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much to Tristan and thank you to those who joined us around the campfire and thank you to you for listening and thank you very much to my friend Jim Friend. I'll be back with a few more Mavericks very, very soon and in the meantime, I hope everything's well and that you are happy and healthy and I will see you soon. Bye.